0: Um, oh, and of course, you absolutely. know, this generation is completely, they're digital natives. Um, but yeah. one thing never changes is that they need real human interaction mm. with, from mentors in their life. Uh, especially my students, you know, some of them didn't, didn't grow up with a stable household. And I think finding a way to just be there bodily for people, which I know is hard coming out of a pandemic, um, but just human interaction never changes that, that, that. The social nature of of human interaction just doesn't change, especially at that age when um, students may, of course, we always talk about college students think they know everything and, uh, and a lot of them do act like that but I think uh, inside they're they're looking for people to look up to.
1: Friend, Dr. Drew Holland, it is a pleasure to have you join us on Faith in the Folds. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Always great to see your face. Yeah, good to good to see you coming from the bustling metropolis of Pulaski, Tennessee, a, a town with infamous history that we won't get into if you don't need to. <laughs> but let's, it, let's not. <laughs> we won't. We won't get into there. Um, Drew, it is a delight to be able to talk to you this morning about uh, some of your experiences. Teaching, teaching Bible primarily, right? Not Bible and religion, but mainly Bible, right? At a state school, yeah? Yeah, well, um, more than just
0: Bible. Um, they wrote me into teaching philosophy. Um, I've got bioethics next semester. So I'm, wow. I, sometimes I'm learning with my students, uh, which okay. is a lot of fun. So as a yep. lifelong learner, um, I get paid to learn. And to uh, pass the cool things I learned on to my students—that's great. Paid to learn,
1: what a gig, right? Yeah, no kidding. My my brother-in-law is a professor of Spanish at my alma mater, and um, and he he used to joke that when he was he was little, he would say that he just he wanted to be an ologist, just somebody who studied. <laughs> and so I can, I, can, I can appreciate that. So uh, we've alluded to the fact that you are currently teaching at a state school. Drew, where do you teach? Uh, y- you mentioned what you teach. How how long have you been teaching? Help us uh, kind get of to, get to know you a little bit before we dig into some of the stuff.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, so I teach at the University of Tennessee Southern here in lovely Pulaski, Tennessee. Um, we are the newest member of the University of Tennessee system. Okay. Uh, we merged with the UT system this past fall in 2021. Uh, prior to that, we were Martin Methodist College, um, and I started teaching at Martin Methodist uh, as an adjunct back in fall of 2018. Uh, I was serving as an associate pastor about an hour away in Huntsville, Alabama, and had the opportunity to teach on top of uh, serving a local church, and uh, really fell in love with uh, with teaching. And uh, had the opportunity once we merged with the UT system. Uh, the provost invited me to come on full-time so uh, I've uh, actually been full-time since last uh, spring semester so January of 2021 Uh, so kind of anticipating the merger uh, and um, have so I'm assistant professor it's my tenure status and I'm also the program director for uh, religion and philosophy so it's uh it's been a great last year or so uh teaching full time and really enjoyed it. Uh and also been rather interesting with this merger uh into uh the UT system, going from a small uh private
1: Christian college to a uh a state school that is growing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I I would imagine too that um That has a whole number of of challenges and things, and you probably have uh, you probably have some insight into uh, into higher ed. um, That that could be pretty interesting. If we come to it later, I'd like to dig into some of that. Absolutely. Um, What got you interested in in teaching and um, and particularly like Bible and ministry and things like that? That normally uh, we were talking before before we got going here normally when I think somebody wants to be a pastor or, uh, or minister, or they want to be a professor of Bible and religion, and uh, it's normal for folks in our, in our church tradition to go to a Christian university, but that is not the case for you, right? You, you didn't even go to a Christian university. And so how did, how did you kind of get to this route of doing what you're doing?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I grew up in a family that we were, united methodist and that's my you know i'm a cradle methodist uh but i wouldn't say that
1: my family was,
0: was heavily <laughs> I hadn't involved. heard that, that's, that's oh yeah funny. oh yeah that's, that's you really and
1: you mean. and some of our other uh cohort mates from asbury yeah that's right that's right <laughs> and
0: um yeah so but the family i grew up in was not particularly involved in church i mean we would go to 11 o'clock worship on sunday morning at our large suburban united methodist church yeah um uh, very rarely went to sunday school i didn't do youth group uh, but there was something about worship that enticed me from a very early age i was sharing with you earlier that when i was i remember being about eight years old third grade listening to uh the preacher preach and i remember thinking like i think i could do better than this guy uh so it started <laughs> off my call i think started off with my arrogance and like most things god <laughs> kind of works in spite of us um but you know through the years people would would say that i've uh, Several folks from church and friends would say, you know, I kind of discerned and used some uh, some gifts for ministry, and as I went to college and became more involved in a local church, uh, you know, I kind of did the opposite of most folks. When I went to college, I got attached to a local church, and uh, that's really where I started to pick up my, um, uh, at least kind of get momentum with the idea that maybe God is calling me to full-time ministry. Uh, so I got involved with local church ministry in college um, and uh, had several folks kind of pushed me in that direction. And at first I was, uh, I thought, yeah, I think I want to make money. Um, I grew up in kind of a secular (laughs) environment. Everybody in my family was in business in some way, shape or form. And uh, so I tried that for a couple of years out of college and uh, realized I'm a terrible salesman. Um, And it was just kind of, for me personally, I found the work that I was doing, I was working in banking as kind of soul-sucking work, not that there aren't people who are called to right, yeah. uh, that kind of, and my wife is now a banker uh, herself, but, um, and she was very much called to that. She has an enormous amount of integrity in what she does and represents Christ for, so well in her um, in her work, but for me, it's just, I could not reconcile who God had called me to be with uh, with that work, so I went back to, to seminary uh, at the you know, the last urging of a friend saying you, you really have like why well, you can do this and so I went to seminary at Duke and um, and, uh, and and while I was there I was still kind of toying like is God calling me to local ministry or is God calling me to academia because I really love to learn um, and I, I really especially through the end of my college time I thought I thought about the idea of going into uh, some kind of academia and it became more clear. Uh, God revealed this to me as I was in seminary that I needed to have a foot in both worlds. Um, I needed to be in the academy and in the local church and what that looked like very clearly, um, going through seminary was that I needed to first serve a local church and I needed to go through the ordination process, which is pretty lengthy in my denomination. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I did that. Um, and, um, Served a local church in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, which was closer to my wife's home. That's how we ended up in North Alabama. Mm -hmm. I'm originally from North Carolina, but um, had a great ministry there for four years, loved it. And then um, the bishop was like, okay, it's time for you to go because in our our polity, we have a bishop who tells us where to go.
1: Y'all move around Uh, quite a bit, right?
0: We do. Thankfully, not as much as we used to. Okay. Um, But that was also kind of a a breaking point of, of, you know, I just had my first child. My wife and I, really, she had the child, Uh, but we had our first child. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, time's running out if I'm actually going to go take the academic route as well. And um, got accepted to Asbury and Mm -hmm. went there, had a great um, three years of residence there, uh, in which I met fine folks like yourself and um, returned back to local ministry for a little while. And then, as I mentioned before, I was adjuncting and serving a local church, and uh, the opportunity kind of opened up to teach full-time, which has enabled me to really balance the two better. Yeah. Uh, it was very hard to serve a local church and adjunct uh, on the side. Um, I, I didn't have as much flexibility to do that. Uh, but now I have the opportunity to teach full-time and then uh, have... You know, a lot more flexibility, especially in the summers. I have weekends available. So, um, you know, I teach adult Sunday school classes uh, at our local church. I fill pulpits, get to do things like this. Yeah. And um, i be on podcasts, which I've done a couple times. So uh, it's really a great, great setup. And I'm, I'm very blessed to be where I am. So that's a long um, story to kind of about my background. I could say more, but I won't bore you.
1: No, no, no. That's uh that's great. I i can't help but uh, still see the preacher in you for giving such a long not
0: <laughs> it never really goes away.
1: Never goes away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um <clears throat> no I'm always fascinated by uh like I said by people who who go to state schools which you attend the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Yep. Which is it all and so I'm like by way of reminder for our audience and perhaps for you. So I'm in Corpus Christi, Texas, and it always trips me up just for a second when people down here say UT because they mean that school in Austin with that ugly color orange.
0: <laughs> I just remember where you... We were here first, and there would not be the other UT without this UT. Seventeen ninety four, Tennessee Volunteers. Exactly. Seventeen ninety
1: four. Seventeen ninety four, University of Tennessee. Yeah. Without so anyway, Tennessee
0: Volunteers. There would be no Texas.
1: There would be no
0: Texas,
1: yeah. <laughs> which I, which I am a. Uh, I'm quick to remind my friends. I don't know. For those who are watching, you might be able to see over here in the corner. That is a Tennessee state flag just mm-hmm. hanging in the corner of the screen. <laughs> um, but yeah, it uh, it fascinates me. The people who were were telling you, hey, you know, maybe you think ministry might be a good route for you. Were those, like, were those trusted friends? Were those people in a campus ministry program? Like how, what, what, I'm just curious, what, what sort of precipitated those conversations for them to, for it even to be relevant for them to tell you that?
0: Usually it was leading a Bible study or just, you know, kind of giving my insights um, in a Bible study. But the, the folks who were telling me this were, were mentors. Uh, I mean, yeah. these were, were usually adults who had volunteered their time in our college ministry and had a heart for college students. Uh, and one of them was a, a really close friend who he was my age, but I've always kind of seen him as, as a mentor, um, really a leader, a spiritual leader in my own life. Um, so, it, you know, if enough of those kind of authoritative voices speak into you, yeah. eventually it gets your attention.
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, I think I had mentioned this. Uh, I, maybe I told you. Um, after I finished up my undergrad degree, uh, I was I was just a history major. I was I was thinking, well, you know, I I, I think I think I might want to go the academic route, but I need to get a I need to get I need to get serious about school. Right? I had A level aspirations and C level work ethics. So if you average that out, I had to be average <laughs> it's coming out of undergrad. And it's like, oh, you know, I should probably. i I could get a master's of of science and education here at harding and um that way like i could already have a master's degree in hand and uh, use it as a big gpa boost was in the midst of all that and uh starting to date to starting date linnea um and so i was thinking oh you know i could instead of academic route i could teach high school history and social studies and had a series of conversations with mentors and was talking to them about this and like kevin one of them especially said, Kevin, you've you clearly have a gift for language. It would be a shame to shame to waste that. Because he knew that I had taken uh undergrad at first year of grad school, I'd taken seven semesters of New Testament Greek just because I thought it was fun and enjoyed it. And so yeah. That it means you was... you're our one sick puppy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> just I loved it though. I absolutely loved it, and minute. Um, I mean, it paid off at Asbury, right? Like it was, it was great to be able to jump in there and and not feel like I'd missed a beat or anything. And I definitely appreciate too your your acknowledgement of, uh, really the need. Uh, or let me ask: Would you say would you say it's like a it's like a drive, or do you feel like it's like a sacred duty? to while at the same time have your job there at ut south to also teach adult bible classes and things like that like the, the, do you feel that would it is it fair to describe that as a drive or, or a need or something
0: i just couldn't imagine myself not doing it um no. it's kind of just one of those things where i feel like this is what i was put on this earth to do um uh to really just ha- again have a foot in both worlds and um I don't know if I would feel lazy necessarily if I didn't do it, but I just would feel incomplete. Um, yeah. So.
1: Yeah. I I teach almost every quarter. We're on a pretty strict quarter system here, three months, and we're switching classes and teachers and everything. And uh, since we started back adult classes last uh, February, February 2021, because we're still kind of coming out of COVID uh, at that point, so that, that was a short quarter, I taught, three of the four quarters last year and that uh, that one quarter that i didn't teach i ended up substituting like four or five sunday mornings (laughs) for people who weren't but the rest of the time i was like i was just kind of antsy it's like all right like this is this is good i'm glad i'm in this class but yeah i kind of feel like i should be i should be doing that so yeah yep all right drew let's switch gears a little bit um although we might come back to that kind of thing because i think that 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 conversation that route that we were taking was pretty fascinating um what what students do you typically teach freshmen sophomores juniors seniors any grad students where do you generally teach and then we'll go from there
0: yeah good question it's mostly um what we call the the gen ed classes okay. uh, so these are uh required courses or at least the, the students are now required to to take a certain amount of hours in the humanities and religion falls within the humanities. Okay. Uh, when we were a small private Christian school, everyone was required to take six hours of Bible. Yeah. Um, and so everybody went through um, one of our Bible classes, um, but now it's, it's an option. Um, you just, again, it's just kind of part of a buffet that students sure. can choose from. Um, and so most of the classes I teach are freshman sophomore level classes. Um, and then every now and then I get to teach more upper level classes, uh, which is fun. Um, but it's really, I, I really enjoy being on the front end of, uh, biblical education for, uh, for a lot of these students. It's, it's really cool to see their eyes open, um, and, and to see that the text is not as scary as some of them thought it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, that segues very nicely into my next question. So because you've been you've been pastoring uh, either full time or just kind of teaching, um, you know, Sunday mornings and things like that for a while now. How would you say that your state school students knowledge of the Bible compares with the average uh, layperson's or the average parishioner's Bible knowledge? It, it, similar, different. What, what have you seen so far?
0: I'd say slightly below. Um... What the the, students, lay is persons, yeah, the stu- students are slightly below. the students is slightly below what okay. the average laypersons is. Um, my students typically, even if they didn't grow up in church, which a lot of them haven't, um, they know stories. Yeah. Uh, but they don't know how it all pieces together. Uh, they don't know the history of Israel. Um, they don't know much about the rise of early Christianity. They certainly don't know a, a lot about the Greco-Roman world or before that, the ancient Near East. Yeah. Um, and how that plays into. Uh, the biblical narrative. Um and, and then there, you know, I, I I felt this not very long ago myself. I remember being a uh, a first year student in seminary, uh being completely afraid of the old testament um and uh what I might learn about it. Um because again I knew stories like Jonah and the the whale even though it's a big fish. Sure, right. Whale. Um
1: <laughs> and was, let's be clear, right? Noah's Ark and all <laughs> this, this is, is not stuff. a mammal. No I'm kidding. That's <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it, it, so, I mean, I, I had a lot of trepidation about studying Old Testament and then uh, ended up getting my Ph.D. in it uh, because yeah. I just over time found it just so utterly fascinating. Um, and so I love to share that with my students. I kind of um, and, and I think it's really cool when when a student realizes this as well. It's like, oh, this was not as frightening as I thought yeah. uh, or this makes a lot of sense or I think it's really interesting. Uh, so to see that light come on for for students is really cool for me, and for me it's even cooler personally to ha- to see them have that light come on at an earlier age than it did for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> interesting that you mentioned being afraid of the Old Testament, and then I'm glad you mentioned that you you ended up uh, dissertating in the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> We won't name names, but I'm just remembering being in your dissertation defense and, and some of the funny things that were said <laughs> by, by, uh, by an examiner. <laughs> anyway, no, let's not go there. Yeah. But we, um, <clears throat> what are you mentioned, um, you know, some of the things that they might not know about, particularly ancient Near East, Greco Roman world. Um, I'm curious. They, you said that they know some of the stories. Um, like, do they know about Noah's floating zoo? Do they know, like, have they heard of Moses? Like, what are some of the typical stories that they've heard of?
0: Yeah, I mean, so Noah's Ark, um, they, they know the name Moses, you know, yeah. they know a few stories depending on how engaged they were in church growing up. Um, they, they may know the names of these books of the Bible, but not necessarily know how, you know, really what's you know, what's the difference between, say, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, yeah. And certainly they don't know the the grand narrative of how it all ties together. Um, yeah. So filling in that content is, is mostly what I see myself doing, uh, at least on the biblical study side. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I like how you put that. They don't know the grand narrative. I'm... I've been in congregational ministry now for um, coming up on like seven something years, and I've been in church for 36 and a half years, (laughs) and so I think it's fair to say that your students aren't alone (laughs) in Mm -hmm. not really understanding the grand narrative of the the Old Testament. I mentioned earlier that I've been using uh, Dr. Sandra Richter's book, The Epic of Eden, to start... Today at the time of recording, it's Wednesday. And so I've been using that to um, start a new Wednesday class. And I love how just right out of the gate, she's like, hey, this is a story of redemption, whole Bible, story of redemption. And I'm going to show you what redemption really means in its time, in its in its original context. And then I'll give you a sense of the depth of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised that they know only a handful of things. It really doesn't seem like it's much different from the average person than the peer.
0: Yeah, I, I would say. You know, again, I don't think a lot of my students' knowledge of the Bible is all that different than mine was my first year of seminary. Uh, and part of that was because I didn't go to a confessional school for undergrad and uh, really just had been involved in church. Um, and not, but even not, not very deeply so. So um, I,
1: I can kind of feel some kinship with my, uh, my students in a lot of ways. Yeah. You mentioned something just a minute ago that I thought was, I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue, but if it wasn't, I thought, no, that's a really interesting thought. I want to dig into that. You mentioned being afraid of what you might learn mm. about the Old Testament, which yeah. I mean, we're, we're rolling through our questions pretty smoothly here at like it. And it's never my intention that we just kind of formulaically deal with these, but it just so happens my next question was, what preconceived ideas do your students tend to have about the Old Testament? I feel like it's relevant here, since you indicated that you might be afraid yeah. to learn something about the Old Testament. Can you help us dig into that a little bit?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, you've got an ancient culture that is uh, distanced in time and place uh, from our current culture, so hard to understand. <laughs> I mean, the big one's also always violence, right? It's it's always, um, you know, is the Old Testament God a God of violence? Um, yeah. And I, I remember thinking my, uh, gosh, my first, very first class in seminary, I was like, maybe the Old Testament God's a different God than the New Testament God. <laughs> and then I was in a church history class, like the very first week, uh, my, my professor was like, oh, there's this guy named Marcy, and he was declared a heretic because he thought there were two different gods. And I was like, oh, I'm not as smart as I think I You're am. You're sitting there guy. squirming
1: in your chair. It's like, I I could have been a heretic.
0: <laughs> yes. And, you know, a lot of my students, uh, I think, come in with that notion as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, there's things like, you know, the binding of Isaac. I mean, what do you do with that? Um, and just little narratives here and there um, that uh, suppression of women, uh, it's, it's different themes as well that run throughout the Old Testament that are just um, frightening, I think, for some people to, uh, sure. at least people of faith, to, to say, like, okay. Do I really want to learn more about this or is ignorance bliss?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And at, at not to not to pick at the low-hanging fruit of the excesses of part of our culture these days. But I think generally, you know, there's a greater sensitivity towards, you know, violence towards, you know, uh, you know women or statements about sexuality and you know what is uh, what is appropriate and what is not and so and then like the old testament does not at all shy away from any of that kind of stuff um like not um not condoning violence against women in any way but um it's just reporting it and uh, so like have you had any of your students ask questions about those kinds of things and like what what have maybe some of those questions been
0: um I, I think generally, uh, the students who investigate those questions uh, are um, they're usually faithful students and curious students, and they they come out with uh, some more nuance uh, than they had before because we do tend to put our modern presuppositions on the biblical text. Um, and, and as you were talking, it just made me think of something I heard from um, the English professor Karen Swallow Pryor uh, who studies, uh, British literature, uh, but is also a very faithful Christian. Um, I heard her in a podcast say that our society is more Victorian than it is Christian sometimes. Oh, and our what did mean by that? Uh, just that, that our sensibilities are, uh, you know, we don't talk about things. We don't mention things that are improper, you know, certainly in mixed company. Mm-hmm. Um, and even those definitions of what are proper, um, come from uh they, they they come from more polite genteel society than they do from the bible which is you know as you said is very descriptive in what happens yeah. um not always that it's condoning what happens um but is does not shy away from the harsh realities of life um and i think in many ways i know i grew up kind of protected from some of these harsh realities and, yeah. and many of us do we live in a very comfortable society but um that's not the way of, of the ancient world. And it's important to, to as much as we can be sympathetic to the, the worldview of the ancient writers. And that's what I've, I've really, that's where I think, I feel like I've grown most in my studies of the Bible is to say, okay, this is a different time, a different place. Um, Does that make what they're saying wrong? No. Does it make what they're saying different? Many times, yes. Um, And so we have to study as much as we can about their world and be sympathetic to the worldview that they have, um, and and know that they do speak into some realities that may be different than our own, but try to understand that. Um, I mean, I feel like you talked about you being a, a history major, and uh, and studying history, and uh, for me, history is all about being sympathetic to other humans across time and space, and um, I, I think it's certainly valid to study the. Old Testament, New testament works of history—in order to yeah. be
1: sympathetic to the authors. Yeah, yeah. I've um, <clears throat> in my in my pastoral duties here. Um, I have. I think I've grown. Maybe not just in my pastoral duties, but in my pastoral duties and my um, and in my studies, uh, academic studies. I've I think I've grown some some. <laughs> and my ability to to give grace to folks, um, because there have been times when I've seen how much grace I've received. Mm. And when when I'm aware, it's like, oh man, yeah. It wears me out that my child continues to do this thing that I have told him several times, hey, if you do this thing, it will hurt yourself. And yet for years, I struggled with X sin knowing full well How it would it was self destructive, and so finally, will willing to say, "Man, God may God be with you as as you work through this." And most importantly, being able to come to realization that I think what's expected of a lot of folks is to be faithful with what they have
0: Mm.
1: at the moment. And so what. The culture, again, I mentioned uh, Sandra Richter's book, The Epic of Eden, um, which I'm working through. The culture, like she starts out at the gate talking about the culture there being uh, described by patriarchy, uh, being patrilineal and patrilocal. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, when when you hear that word patriarchy these days, especially in an academic environment, you know, get the uh, defibrillator ready. Somebody's about to pass out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But the patriarchy described there in the old testament still comes up with laws like don't glean to the edge of your field and you know so the orphan the widow and the stranger uh, may eat of the produce of the land Um, you know the whole issue of uh, leveret marriage and um, god describing himself as the god of orphans and widows and things like that it's like like, all right, say what you want about the excesses of patriarchy, right? Yeah. Well, and but, then
0: you've got the daughters of Zelophehad who get to inherit uh land before Israel even enters the land. Um there's some some boundary pushing <laughs> that goes on. Uh um, who knew the old testament was so progressive, uh, right?
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh. But anyway, like it's that kind of stuff that I am learning and um you know, is seeing and thinking, wow, it's like, there's, yeah, there's some, there's some really harsh stuff. And there's moments where you think, oh, wow, like, this is, this is surprising. If if we're, if we're going to say the whole thing is, you know, is wicked, or, you know, patriarchal, and use it in the most negative way possible, like, or I actually kind of miss some things that are surprisingly, Uh, surprisingly equal and and important i don't know if you want to go with that anymore but uh, i I mean
0: i'm constantly surprised by that studying um the old testament new testament as well just especially because a lot of what i study is the the cultural background Mm um and uh you know studies of violence i mean there's no for instance that's just as as an example um there i there's so many things that when you read uh Read it in the Old Testament um, that you know every man, woman, child, cow was slaughtered. Yeah. Um, it's like, golly, what do we do with that? Um, and you, but then you contrast that with Neo Assyrian annals, uh, which discuss you know an entire field being laid with corpses, such that you had to put bodies in the river, and the river was dammed up with bodies, and the river was flowing with blood. That are just far more gruesome. And you think, okay, maybe ancient Israel was a product of their day and time, but also did not emphasize focus on some of these issues like, you know, excessive violence. Um, and then I I could go on forever about violence itself, but you could, you know, extrapolate that out to lots of different modern issues. And you could see even in ancient Israel's witness, um, a certain ethic of, uh, of care of, um, universal uh love for all humankind um that that bubble is kind of bubbling beneath the surface and um that certainly explodes on the scene uh with the telos of the law and jesus christ so
1: yeah yeah i was waiting for you to say you know with the arrival of the good stuff okay the new testament
0: well okay. you know jesus really didn't say anything new kevin i mean <laughs> he mostly just quoted the old testament and um Just kind of brought the story
1: to just kind of recapitulated the story. You've been hanging out with our friend John Cook of Asbury (laughs) Seminary, (laughs) who likes to call the Old Testament what he calls the New Testament what the um the appendix. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that's Bill Arnold. He calls it that too.
1: Wow, man. I I I used to think so highly of these guys. Um in addition to the questions about violence and um and, and other other hot topics, um, what has surprised you most about teaching undergrads? Hmm. Uh,
0: that's a good question. I would just say, um, wow, let me think about this. Probably I I would say, even though it shouldn't be surprising, it is their biblical knowledge. Um, (laughs) Simply because, you know, I I have to look, I have to kind of think back to myself at that age and what I knew. Um, but I've been studying this and immersed in in scripture for so long from an academic perspective, um, that I take so much for granted. I I take so much knowledge for granted and so many, you know, cool things that people have taught me throughout the years, um, and, and great insights that God has revealed, um, to me and, uh, and other, mostly others that they've passed on to me. And, um, and so I, um, yeah, I, I just feel like I, I kind of find myself slowing down a lot to say, okay, let me break this down. Right, let me let me yeah. just pretend like you're an alien from another planet who is uh, encountering this thing called the Bible. So uh, it's it's not really on my students; it's more on me to, um, as a teacher, to slow down and simplify certain concepts.
1: Yeah, that makes sense because I I I think it's fair to say that. Some of the most basic things that are just commonplace in the Old Testament are things like sacrifice, and oh goodness, so yeah, you get to the binding of Isaac, um, and and that in itself is so bizarre. Why would I intentionally let go of this thing that is good for me? What is like what is the value in that, and how? why why does god or the gods or like how does all that play out yeah i can i can see how they would there would be lots of uh lots of questions and yeah you describe yourself being you, you tell them you know be an alien or pretend like you're an alien from uh, from uh, another planet it, it really feels like that sometimes cracking up the old test cracking open the old testament <laughs>
0: yeah
1: um, <clears throat> I'm just curious. I, I I didn't I didn't plan this question, so uh, gotcha. But <laughs> <laughs> go for it, I, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, <clears throat> when you get to the primeval history in Genesis, uh, so it, typically described as Genesis one through eleven, um, are, do your do your students tend to have you know stronger notions about what those chapters mean and how we have to understand them? Or are are they still kind of an open book with that uh, with that section as well?
0: I, I think that section they're pretty much firmly established in their beliefs. Okay. the Ones that I've engaged with. Um, yeah. So my students here uh, we're here in South
1: Central Tennessee, which I, I know you don't like the phrase South Central. No, well that's nobody that's calls it that. But okay. for for people who for people who aren't from Tennessee, uh, that makes sense. It's I mean it's not the Tennessee colloquialism. You're in right, Middle Tennessee. Yeah. You're like five minutes away from Alabama, but still. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, yeah, I mean, we, we call it South Central. That's our kind of in our slogan, but I, I don't, yeah, anyways. Uh, but, 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 you know, our context, we're pretty rural, small town. Um, and so we, we, I've found that we have pretty much two demographics that we draw from, okay. uh, religiously speaking. Uh, we have students who grew up in a very fundamentalist, literal uh, environment where scripture is history, science, Yeah, Um, all of those kind of modern presuppositions that we put on the scriptural narrative, or we have kids who have never darkened the door of a church. Um, And uh, so, you know, I grew up in a suburban uh, area of a a large city um, around a lot of people who are well educated, I'm very blessed to have gotten some education myself Mm -hmm. um and it's a very different context than a lot of my students most of whom are first generation college students Mm -hmm. um and have uh you know aside from their religious upbringing have not studied the bible in an academic way yeah cool Um, cool, quick
1: question how big is
0: ut south uh we're just
1: under a thousand students right now but we're growing yeah Yeah. so for people who who hear ut and they might think oh well like the university of tennessee is however many thousands of students or yeah, yeah. ut martin or um what are the other uts uh, Chattanooga oh there. that's right yeah. The other UT Chattanooga. yeah 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 so like those they might think those schools like oh yeah like there's several thousand students there and like y'all are just just over a thousand um yeah, yeah like that's my... much larger than we have been so. <laughs> yeah well and, and that uh, that makes sense yeah okay so anyway like so like still very much a small school yeah and would draw uh, unsurprisingly would draw the crowd that you're talking about there so yeah g- go ahead sure.
0: no no i, I think uh, when it comes your your question was about the primeval history and i think you either have have students who take it um as historical narrative in the way that we think of historical narrative yeah um in the kind of greco-roman sense of history um or they really have not engaged with it at all and think that it's um i don't know just
1: rather foolish um sure
0: so yeah. That,
1: but yeah it's just a story yeah right
0: right so yeah. um yeah so i it's very little in between not a lot of nuance there uh so i spent actually spent a lot of time um on just genesis one and two uh with my students and i lay you know i try not to prescribe any particular reading which i can't do in a state school anyways exactly uh, but yeah. i i lay out there, and uh, just try to be as descriptive as I possibly can, yeah. and let the students make up their mind. I, and I'm, you know, a lot of them are surprised at the different options out there. And even those who grew up in church, um, I think are like, "Oh, I've never seen that aspect of it, or I've never heard it read from that perspective." So yeah. um, I think it's cool just to be able to present diff- different options to my students and let them um, make up their mind on what yeah. they believe yeah
1: I wonder is it appropriate to um, to to talk to your students about the um, about reading the text in ways in which they were intended to be understood as opposed to, for example, you know, like and this is something that i that I tend to think about when I come to Genesis one and two um, It's tempting for us to read it as you know, like scientific manual, it's like, this is, this is scientifically what happened. Um, but that imposes on the text, a way of thinking that is foreign to the worldview there to the original audience, um, you know, to the authors and editors who uh, have gone back and you know, kind of worked with the text. And if anybody in the audience is uh, concerned about me mentioning editors is like, well, you know, very, <laughs> Moses probably didn't write about his own death, right? And, um, you yeah, know, anyway. So, but there's, so it, it, do you mention any of that to them?
0: Yeah, again, I see part of my job as uh, helping my students be more sympathetic to uh, ancient contexts. And so what I do, especially in the, uh, in the creation stories, but also, you know, even going through you know, Genesis 6 through 9 and the flood story. Yeah. Um, is I bring in the other ancient Near Eastern texts. I try to say basically, yeah. you know, they're, not, they're not writing, uh, the author or authors of the Genesis primeval narratives are not writing as 21st century moderns. Um, they are writing more with the, um, the worldview of these other texts in mind. <laughs> so here's the Enuma Elish. Here is the Memphite theology uh, from ancient Egypt. Um, now, here is uh, this Babylonian creation story, or here is uh, another creation story from, from Memphis at the, the Heliopolitan text. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I could set that broader cognitive worldview, um, I, for me, at least, uh, I would think and I hope that that helps my students understand uh, and kind of put Genesis 1 through 2 in a different um,
1: in a different frame than the one from which they come yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um, especially when you put it in when when you compare it with these other texts there from a pastoral standpoint there's a lot um there's there's a lot of what i would say is substantial difference uh you know to the point where the, the differences make a difference um mm-hmm. you know as at reading these as judeo-christian literature the way in which they're intended to be read they um you know, I, I think there's there's an argument to be made right that these are um that these are if not interacting directly with those other texts they're at least uh you know speaking um speaking in ways that deal with the ideas of these other worldviews that are represented is that fair yeah I, so i actually wrote an
0: essay com- comparing Genesis 1 and some other creation texts recently, so it's a little fresh from my mind, but um, the conclusion I come to is that, you know, they, they share these concepts. Uh, <laughs> they know the, this conceptual worldview, uh, but they don't seem to borrow directly uh, from a lot of these texts. Um, you know, the Enuma Elish is the one that probably gets the most play in comparison to Genesis one, but, um, I think there's probably a closer comparison to be made from, uh, the Memphite theology where you have the God Ta who creates the world through speech, for instance. Um, and so there's a similarity there with Genesis one. Uh, but yeah, so these kind of concepts are, um, are familiar to the authors of these creation stories. Yeah. Um. But uh, it, it, they're certainly putting their own uh, perspective of, of their God, and, that, and their God makes a difference. Like you said, the differences make a difference. And, um, and just the mere fact that you've got one God in play rather right. than a series of God. You know you've got polytheism in Mesopotamia, you've got more of what we might call henotheism uh, in Egypt where you have manifestations uh, or various manifestations of, of the sun God. Um, it, it makes a difference to have one God who's, who's kind of in charge of all of this. Yeah. Uh, and that sets the tone. And, and also, you've got this really gracious creation um, in both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and a very intimate relationship uh, between humankind and God um, that you may get overtones of in Egypt, but not nearly um, to the extent that you get it in ancient Israel. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like, I like where you put that. The differences make a difference, and yeah. uh, I think setting that cultural background, um, I think reveals more about these texts than reading them in a modern scientific or historical light.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something that I've said uh, that I've said recently in, in classes here at church, which it may be relevant for this conversation, is, you know, I've asked the question in a class: Does something have to be uh, can something be biologically false but still true? And you know, people are kind of scratching their heads, and everyone's like, okay, where's Kevin going with this? is like, okay, is Jesus literally biologically a lamb? Well, no. Okay, is Jesus the lamb of God? Yes. Okay, so then, you know, let's learn to appreciate what the text is trying to say on its own terms. That may be relevant for you know for Genesis one and two, but that may also get you to. You know, it may be a more pastoral conversation that might not be appropriate in a classroom setting, which, by the way, brings me to my next question here. So as a state school professor, I totally understand your job is not evangelism. I suspect you need to be careful about, you know, letting your own beliefs go, uh, you know, showing your own beliefs. But I'm curious to hear, given your regular interaction with college students. Do you have any recommendations for churches and how they might be able to reach this group of uh, Gen? What are we? in? Are we in Gen Z now? I think still so. in gen Z. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I can't keep up. Yeah. Like, w- w- what would what do you, what would you think churches might need to do, or might need to be willing to do, or might need to be willing to listen to 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 reach this group?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, um, and I can only speak from my context here at, um, at UT Southern. Um, and again, we our, our students, a lot of them come from blue collar backgrounds, uh, first generation college students. Um, and the, the biggest thing I see with, uh, my students, biggest issue they struggle with is time management. Um, and time management plays into that as well. They've got uh, most of the students here have jobs. They also play sports. A lot of, you know, for the, a lot of them, sports is what, what drew them and uh, they had the opportunity to play at the small yeah. school. Um, and so they're, for the first time in their life, they are, they're dealing with time management issues and, um, and no one's looking over their shoulder, telling them to do work. And so, uh, and, and a lot of them are, are struggling financially as well. Um, but in terms of, you know, how I think local churches can help them, um, you know, with as much as digital as uh, as this generation is, I mean, these are digital natives. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but, you know, I, I grew up without a lot of technology, but I've, I grew up. I was probably in middle school. We've got the Internet at home. And
1: when did you graduate uh, high school? Can I ask? Oh, one. Oh, OK. Yeah. I, I was Oh oh four. So you're my co- you know, uh, I yeah, got a cousin. Years, same age yeah. as you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we call this the Oregon Trail generation, which means that we're like, <laughs> we so know true. enough technology to like, be able to keep up with it and be comfortable with it. But we yeah. remember a time when there was not. Um, oh, and of course, you know, this generation yeah. is completely they're digital natives. Um, but yeah. one thing never changes is that they need real human interaction mm. with, from mentors in their life, uh, especially my students. you know, Some of them didn't, didn't grow up with a stable household. Yeah. Um, And I think finding a way to just be there bodily for people, which I know is hard coming out of a pandemic, um, but just human interaction never changes. The the social nature of of human interaction just doesn't change, especially at that age when um, students may of course, we always talk about college students think they know everything, and, uh, and a lot of them do act like that. But I think uh, inside, they're, they're looking for people to look up to. They're looking for mentorship. And uh, sometimes we don't know how to make that. I don't have a great suggestion as to how to start those relationships. I think that's the hardest part. Yeah. Um, but just building in-person human relationships with folks. Is, I, you know, I really
1: like what you said there, Drew. They're looking for people to look up to that's encouraging for somebody in my position as a minister because you know I it's easy for me to think man these teens and young adults they don't care what a 36 year old says i'm an old man to these guys because i've got kids you know i don't have a forehead anymore i've got a five head you know it's, <laughs> it's starting to head back a little hey, but bit your, your your
0: hair colors <laughs> holding them pretty steady
1: the I'm <laughs> Drew, I'm not going to lie to you, man. You probably would have been able to keep some of that, uh, some of that Brunette in there. If you hadn't raced through your doctorate as fast as you did, I think you finished your dissertation in like eight months or something. (laughs) It was pretty quick, but I was (laughs) motivated. What can I say? Absolutely. But I really like what you said there. They're looking for people to look up to. And that's encouraging because it's tempting for me to think they're not interested. It's tempting for me to think that they're not interested when wildly or maybe I should say non-surprisingly I've asked around some of the parents like hey what would you think about kind of like a mentoring program where like you know trusted adults who are like parents age and younger would eat one-on-one with you know some of the teens in the youth group you go to whataburger or dairy queen or like five guys or something like that you know nothing fancy just hey I I'm a member of this church And It's important for teens especially to have adult friends who are not their parents or their youth minister that they can actually look at and say, I'm friends with these people. Statistically that holds that that is a key component in maintaining faith through high school and on into college years is those somewhere around five friendships. Five seems to be kind of a magic number. Mm. It's fascinating that Without me sharing that with you ahead of time, and I don't know if you knew that ahead of time uh, prior to this, that you you notice that the fact that these folks are hungry for for meaningful social interaction, goodness gracious, it's almost as if we were created in such a way for us not to be isolated from each other, Uh, Drew. (laughs) Uh, It's a small wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Drew, is there anything else any other dynamite nugget you want to drop <laughs> with us here no no i'm, I'm just a i'm
0: honored to be here kevin and you listed off all the the new testament folks that you had had on here and you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for old testament people so, <laughs> um, and i don't know your your listeners should know that uh that you were quite the old testament scholar yourself even though you you finished off in, in new testament that, that's very kind i, you, uh, in I a took a deuteronomy, deuteronomy seminar. seminar yeah yeah you were you did great so you know,
1: I, was, I was bummed that one other new testament guy joined in that class because honestly we talked about arrogance earlier it's like i wanted to be the one guy who was brave <laughs> enough to take a hebrew-based deuteronomy seminar with bill arnold but you know alas still anyway drew it's been a pleasure sir i really appreciate your time today
0: Yeah, thank you, Kevin. It's been great to be on. All
1: right, take care. You too. Bye-bye.